The views expressed on Geeks and Beats are those of the participants alone and do not necessarily reflect the views of their employers. We are recording. Hello. Yep, there we go. Seems to be working just fine at this end here in London. What are you doing in England anyway? I am going to speak to some people regarding the use of music in the sport of golf. <laughs> Wait, whoa, hang on. I thought the whole point of golf was that we all had to be really quiet while you took the shot. Yes, I know. However, there are some forward-thinking people who believe that golf is a bit stale and may need a little bit of jazzing up. So, uh, are, are you being literal? Like, do you literally want to play jazz? Because I can't imagine thrash metal would be the appropriate genre. This is the point of the meeting. We have no idea. This is IMG. It's the big sports agency company. They're in charge of some women's tours in Asia. And I met them earlier this year. They wanted uh, a face-to-face this week. So if you think that music should be in golf, I am here to help. From the headquarters of Geeks and Beats magazine, now with 1.2 billion subscribers on iTunes and GeoCities, this is the world's most popular podcast with Alan Cross and Michael Hainsworth, featuring musical guest Sting. How the internet is keeping you from bonding with your future spouse over music, even if it is Swedish funk. From WWF to WTF, the 30th anniversary of one of the most influential albums in wrestling. And what Adele's decision to ban her latest album from streaming music services did to sales of 25. This was smart. Plus, the winner of the Phillips Beard Trimmer 9000 and how Katy Perry was turned into a weapon of mass distraction. Opinions are like the Blackberry Bold. You find them everywhere, but nobody's impressed with them. And now, Alan Cross. Michael Hainsworth. I came across a, a comedian by the name of Pete Holmes, and he had an interesting little bit. And it led me to immediately think of something that's been bothering me for the past 15 years. And it was a buddy of mine who sent me an MP3, which he had stolen off Usenet, your precursor to what everyone mostly knows the Internet to be today. And it was titled simply Swedish Funk. And I want to know if you know who the heck this is, because we can't find anyone on the Internet who can tell us. Well, let's play it, and I'll give you a solution for the problem if I can. Waiting for the bus one Sunday afternoon. I was kind of introvert because I was riding this tune. The bus came along and I got on and sat down. Now I was heading for the center of the city. Two stops after what I got on. I came in all late. I was thinking of the song. So she got on the bus and she sat down next to me and said, Are you heading for the center of the city? Yes, the bus. So, 
I punch this in through the sound services, you know, where you can listen in, whether it be Shazam or what have you. Uh, I've used Sound, not SoundCloud, what am I using? SoundHound. And that one didn't figure it out either. I don't know this one either. If I were at home, I would wash this through one of the iTunes cleaners that I have. Not going to help you. Tried it. No, hey? It, and th- what got me thinking about this was this comedian, Pete Holmes, who has this thing about Google on our phones is basically ruining our lives. It's like having a drunk uncle who knows everything. And so the time between us not knowing something and us knowing something is so brief that we really don't feel any better for knowing. He gives the example of, you know, where's Tom Petty from? Jacksonville, Florida. Listen to me. There was a time, and I don't mean to get all Andy Rooney on ya, but there was a time that if you didn't know where Tom Petty was from, you just didn't know. And you felt that yearning and that deficit in your being. And you'd go around and ask actual people. Like, where's Tom Petty from? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. And now I'm impregnated with wonder. And then they go and ask people. Until one fateful day, you see a girl wearing a Heartbreakers t-shirt. You rush up to her and you're like, hey, where's Tom Petty from? And she tells you, Florida. And a wave of endorphins and pleasure and meaning would wash over you. And you felt something. And that's how you met your wife. Do you understand? Your wedding song was Refugee. Now, this is interesting because the CBC had something like this uh, last week. There was somebody who had recorded a song off the radio. They don't remember exactly what year it was. They think it was 1989, 1990, 1991. They don't remember the radio station. It might have been Fox. It might have been uh, The Coast, which was around back then. And uh, the tape was not labeled. So and it sat this way for 20-some years. And no one whom they played it for, could identify the song. They tried the sound hand, they tried the Shazam, they tried Googling the lyrics, uh, and, and they couldn't, nothing. So what, what ended up happening was that the CBC posted it on their website saying, does anybody know what this song is? And it took, about, uh, it took less than a day before somebody came up with a band called All Good Children, and I can't remember the name of the song, but they actually identified it and directed us to a YouTube video of the song. But it took the resources of an entire nation, of the entire Internet, real people, not algorithms and not search engines, to determine exactly who this was. And, you know, I heard the song. I, Damn, it was really, really familiar it had a a u2 thing about it and i sent it off to some of my record company buddies and a few other people and they didn't know who it was but they said yeah you know it's really familiar and it came back as this canadian band uh, all good children so i i listen we'll post it uh in the show notes and see if we can do exactly the same thing it's bothering me because the song does sound familiar which ties into a different kind of mystery that has been now ultimately solved 43 years later. The subject of You're So Vain. Yeah. You had one eye in the mirror as you watched yourself go out and all the girls dreamed that they'd be your partner. They'd be your partner and you're so song is about you. You're so vain. 
This was something that, you know, if you go back to the days of AM radio where you only knew what the DJ told you or the rumor that your friend had heard about the song from some shadowy source. 1972, Carly Simon, very hot singer-songwriter at the time, writes the song You're So Vain. And all we know is that she's singing about a real person, some kind of ex-lover, some bad relationship. This is years before Taylor Swift became very, very rich doing this sort of stuff. <laughs> we know that Mick Jagger uh, was uncredited on uh, backup vocals on the song. And Carly did acknowledge that it was about a real person, but she never said who it was. Was it Mick Jagger? Did she somehow trick him into uh, singing on a song about him. No. Well, it was Cat Stevens. No. Uh, was it David Geffen? No. The, well, no, because he's gay. And, you know, I, I don't think it would have been him. So it, it one of the people that, that back at the very beginning said, okay, it's either Jack Nicholson or it's Warren Beatty. And we all knew it was Warren Beatty for four. This is a terrible letdown. If it was anyone other than Warren Beatty, I would have been really pleased to learn. But now Carly herself in a brand new interview on People reveals that it is, in fact, the guy we all thought it was in the first place. How do you feel about that Jamoke who paid thousands upon thousands of dollars to have a dinner with Carly Simon several years back where she actually did tell him the truth? I know. And and <laughs> Warren Beatty has been going around for decades saying, we all know the song's about me. What, what's the big deal? The song's about me. It's me. It's, and so He's just that vain. It's, well, yeah, but we thought, well, Warren Beatty, I mean, of course he would say something like that. He would always think that the song is about him, right? And it turns out it was. And oh, Okay, so two things. Number one, it's anticlimactic in the sense that it's Warren Beatty, and we all knew it was Warren Beatty. And on the other hand, it's like, ah, oh, did you have to? I mean, could you have made it to 50 years before you actually blabbed, before you actually confirmed it? See, these are the things that are interesting about, about music in the era before the Internet. Do you remember... Uh, a song by the Ohio Players called Love Roller Coaster. Right, and we talked about this on a recent episode where the big scream of a woman in the background was rumored to be her being murdered in the studio, and that's clearly not the case. Right, I mean, we, you know, those are the kinds of things that we used to hear about, and we could never confirm them, so they lived on an infamy and, 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 and mystery and legend and myth and... We just don't have that anymore. We know absolutely everything there is to know about every single song lyric that's out there, with the exception of our Swedish funk thing, which is driving me nuts. You're listening to Geeks and Beats on iTunes, Stitcher, and the Bell Media Radio Network. Hi, this is Scott Coates calling from Bangkok, Thailand, with a question for Ask Alan Anything. 
Got a question about music, love, that suspicious rash? Ask Alan anything. Call 323-319-NERD. Alan, I heard a while back that John Bon Jovi owns the name to the band and he pays all the other guys in the band via salary. And I'm wondering, does one of my favorite bands, Dave Grohl and the Foo Fighters, do the same thing? And how common is it for popular rock bands these days to have one guy that actually is running the band as a business and paying the other members as employees? Thanks so much. Love the show. Keep it up. Now, here's what happens. Um, there are a number of situations where you have a principal owner, owner of an LLC, a limited liability company, which is the legal entity of a band. And there are a number of ways that you can lure people into this LLC. If you are the principal, you are the owner, you are the chief songwriter, the chief frontman, you have an opportunity to bring people in as either salaried employees or you're going to make them part of the company. They'll have shares in the company, shares in the band. And I'm not entirely sure what the relationship is in within the Foo Fighters. Obviously, Dave Grohl is uh, number one. But there have been people, guitarists that have moved in and bass players that have moved in and out of the Foo Fighters over the years. So they have been um, you know, either fired or asked to leave or whatever case there has been a departure. So whether or not that was a, hey, I'm the boss, you're the employee, I am terminating you, goodbye, or it was one of these situations where, okay, this guy is out of the band and we are going to make sure that he continues to get paid based on the work that he did while he was a member of the band. These things are very, very fuzzy. And, you know, unless the, the, the one that's the most cut and dry is you 2 um, with the, the, you have the four guys in U2, each one of them for years and years and years had a 20% share in everything U2 as a band did. All for one, one for all. The other 20% went to their manager, Paul McGinnis. Now, Paul is no longer in the, in the mix anymore. They have a guy named Guy Osiri who is, who's their manager. I don't know what the, what the, what the cut is now, how it's being divided. But uh, each member of U2 is a, as an equal, uh, a partner in the whole entity, the business entity and the musical entity. Uh, but I don't know where everybody else is. Uh, you, for example, with Pearl Jam, um, I think the four guys, uh, Eddie, Stone, Jeff and Mike, they're all major, they're all bosses. But the drummer, I think... In, in this particular case is Matt Cameron. They've gone through a number of drummers. I think the drummer is just a salaried employee. If you've got a question for Ask Alan Anything, call 323-319-NERD. I feel the hot wind on my shoulder And the touch of a world that is older I turn the switch and check the number I leave it on while the bed I slumber I hear the rhythms of the music I buy a product but never use it I hear the talkings of the DJ Can't understand just what does he say I'm on a Mexican radio I'm on a Mexican radio November 16th was the day the music died for U.S. streaming company RDO. Yeah, this is really sad. RDO was the first company, their first streaming company that I, I latched onto. It was, I think, 2010. And the reason a lot of Canadians went to RDO is because it was the only streaming music service that was actually licensed to operate in Canada. Pandora had been here for a while, and, and Pandora was a 
uh, an internet streaming radio company, which is different from an internet streaming music company. Uh, but they pulled out. Uh, RDO came in. There were a few others. And I'm just trying to remember. Uh, Slacker came in. Uh, I'm not sure about Rhapsody. I know the Deezer came in before Spotify. Uh, and RDO, for the longest time, was the only streaming music service that actually had boots on the ground. They had, in Canada, they had a representative. Her name was Rachel. She was here for a while. And then there was a restructuring, so they got rid of her and um, ran everything out of San Francisco for a while. But then RDO ended up with an equity play with Shaw, the cable company, and they established an office here in Canada again. And they were very active in various corporate and uh, entertainment industry uh, initiatives. For example, they were a big part of the Polaris Music Prize for years. If you wanted to go and listen to any of the albums on that were on the long list or the short list, you went to the Polaris site and Artie was there. They were at the parties. They were at the events. They were spending money uh, and, and, and promotional time doing doing things. But they, they, they finally ran out of money. Well, there's a little more money going around because Shane Alexander at GeeksAndBeats.com reports that there's an all-cash deal to be set to sell the RDO assets to Pandora for $75 million. He quotes a Pandora executive as saying, We are defining the next chapter of Pandora's growth story. Yeah, here's... Okay, that's fine. Pandora is, like I say, an internet radio company. They have a relatively small library from which they can choose. It's, uh, I think, 2 million songs, while all the streaming music companies are around 35 million. Pandora is available in just three countries, the United States, New Zealand, and Australia. Mm-hmm. RDO is available in 100 territories around the world. This sounds like a, like a licensing issue more than anything else. Oh, it's a huge licensing issue. Pandora is only in those three com- countries because those are the only three countries that would give them favorable licensing deals. The, the, the interesting thing about internet radio is that the fees that you pay are set by the government, not by an agreement that you would have to make with rights holders, record labels, managers, copyright boards, and all the rest of it. It's a government thing. With a streaming music service, you have all these other people like the like we've been talking about that you have to uh, strike your licensing deal with. So it's it. The, I, I'm confused about how this is going to work. You know, Pandora will continue to work in the way that's been working, but where does this internet streaming service? aspect come in uh they are buying the technology and they're buying the intellectual property and they're bringing in a bunch of other people but from what i understand they cannot they cannot buy the licensing agreements the article at geeksandbeats.com by uh, shane alexander required him of course to uh go to one of our other uh, colleagues at the website vanessa azoli and say hey we we need to update things so if you go to geeksandbeats.com we now have the definitive guide to streaming music services in canada she's updated it now it is by far and away the most popular article on our website today see didn't i tell you it was going to be a big one fantastic Cut the cord and go to geeksandbeats.com anytime. You'll get the latest episode and links to the stories the boys are talking about. Geeksandbeats.com. Also available on 8-track and cassette. Remember back in the old days when we called wrestling wrestling? Or even better, when we called the WWE WWF before all the uh, 
Panda Bears got upset. I was such a big WWF fan. I were you really? I was. You had a short long, didn't you? You you were a guy with a party out back and then the business up front. Uh, I was because I, I I once oh god I remember when WrestleMania was held in Toronto at the Sky Dome. Back when they called it Sky Dome. Back when they called it Sky Dome. And it was it was huge. It was like 65,000 people there and I got an interview with Hulk Hogan and Mean Gene and it was it was fantastic. I mean it was it's, it was great entertainment. But then, you know, uh, mixed martial arts came along and, and and UFC pretty much killed it. It's it's just not what it used to be. 30 years ago, the wrestling album was released by the World Wrestling Federation and Geeks and Beats uh, writer Amber Healy is looking at this November 9th, 1985 moment in time when it was gifted upon the world. A review by Billboard magazine said, quote, as singers, they're pretty good wrestlers. <laughs> See, I was actually, I didn't realize the album was that old, but I was actually studying it because, like I say, I'm in London to consult with some people who want to add music to a sport that traditionally doesn't have a lot of music associated with it. So there there I think there are oh there's got to be at least a dozen and a half WWF WWE albums whether they're the wrestlers singing themselves or their songs written about the wrestlers or they're just compilations of songs the wrestlers use as entrance music or whatever. Geeks and Beats listeners, Scott Simpson, went to town excited about this particular article. And, and he pointed out that, of all things, you can credit Cindy Lauper for reviving the fortunes of the Worldwide Wrestling Federation back in the 80s by giving it a, a little more appeal to a mainstream audience. Yeah, she was somebody's manager. My dear friend, Captain Lou Albano, who has officially made a public apology to me. Captain Wu, can you yes, tell him? Yes, Cindy, I have. And first of all, uh, champion Hulk Hogan and David Wolf and Cindy Lauper. I'd like to say it's an honor and a pleasure for me to be here. They claim that I have a uh, deficiency in the medulla of my brain by uh, calcium deposit, and uh, this is possible. I think it's wrestling that brought Cindy Lauper down. I think Cindy would be a, a mainstream musician to this day if she didn't get on this weird sidetrack where she got into the showmanship of wrestling with Hulk Hogan. Apparently you've never heard of Kinky Boots. Well, I know that, 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 like, think, though, about the 20 years span between when she was popular as a musician and the point at which the theater production Kinky Boots made it to stage. Well, what did she what did she do in the interim? Well, counter money, I hope those casinos needed uh, performers, didn't they? Well, that's true. That's a weird thing about the music industry, isn't it? That you can find yourself down at Casino Rama and fill out the house. And but there would have been a time where you would have been deathly embarrassed to go up on stage for something like that. I know. But now the casino circuit is a huge one. <laughs> I remember seeing. What was it? Uh, oh, there's this new metal band called Stained. Uh, they had a, of course it is. They had a huge hit in the early 2000s called It's Been a While. And they were sort of like protégés of Limp Bizkit, and they played big. Oh, they were, they, were, they were very big for a while. And the last I heard of them, they were playing, you know, the Indian casino circuit. 
The 30th anniversary of the wrestling album brings us back to the start of a new era, Healy points out, when Vince McMahon took over the business from his dad and ultimately launched pay-per-view events like WrestleMania, the Summer Slam, and Cyndi Lauper's relationship with that was tied to Captain Lou Albano, who was a wrestler as well, and ended up in one of her music videos. Yeah, and listen, there was a lot of money to be made in the WWF slash WWE and there is no way that she would have uh, she, and she would have been counting her money from this you're right now that I think of it duh the uh, inside story of a record that started a revolution is the way the Rolling Stone magazine describes this particular piece of which we're, we're talking about here but uh, Healy points out that uh, Hulk Hogan's theme song Real American had some real history behind it did it? You know, I was never a, a fan of his music. Although, did you know, and we'll come back to your thread in just a second. I just want to throw this one in. Did you know that apparently Hulk Hogan auditioned to be the bass player for Metallica back in the 80s? You're kidding. No. Bass solo, take one. One. My Hulk Hogan story? Okay. Hulk Hogan got himself tied up with some sort of uh, nutrient supplement company. No. That was listed on the New York Stock Exchange. Sorry, the NASDAQ uh, Stock Exchange. And so we had a reason to interview him. And one of my segment producers was a huge WrestleMania fan and had a Hulkamania t-shirt, like an original Hulkamania t-shirt signed by Hogan himself. And when he tells me that tomorrow I'm interviewing Hulk Hogan and that he's got this t-shirt, I said, okay, this is what you're going to do. You're going to bring that t-shirt in I'm gonna borrow it <laughs> so before we went to air I put the t-shirt on underneath <laughs> and I took one of my old dress shirts one that I didn't mind damaging and at the end of the segment I ripped my shirt off the same way Hulk Hogan used to do <laughs> I I hope to God there's video of that I want it there is oh. and Hogan busts out laughing and the buttons from my dress shirt just went flying every which way and the entire newsroom ground to a halt because they thought I had lost my mind <laughs> until they saw the Wrestlemania t-shirt underneath <laughs> oh I didn't see you are more of a rebel than I ever believed and there you go that's fan that's fantastic so the song Real American, which was uh, Hogan's anthem itself, um, was never intended for it to be an anthem for the WWF, uh, according to John Derringer, who wrote it. He says, my partner and I who wrote it, when we listened back at that one, we actually cried. I remember thinking, we've written the most patriotic song of all time. And he sees it as a legitimate track, not just something that you would put on a novelty album for a bunch of wrestlers. <laughs> I, I, you know, I thought, I thought for years, you know, Metallica fans and metal fans everywhere thought for years that he was just blowing smoke. It was just some, uh, you know, these supplements had gone to his brain or something. But no, in fact, Hulk Hogan might have been, and in, in, in no, in fact, in some alternate universe, Hulk Hogan is playing bass for Metallica. Yes, exactly. If, if, if we had the string theory applied to the wrestling world, <laughs> he would not be a wrestler today. No, absolutely not. That's okay. So 
Okay, you're right. This uh, this album was a big deal, and uh, I have considered me schooled. Uh, Rowdy Roddy Piper, who passed away earlier this year, is uh, on the album as well for the uh, gem, as Amber describes it, For Everybody, which is a slightly modified cover of Mike Angelo and the Idol's 1984 song, The World May Not Like Me, better known as Fuck Everybody. <laughs> We were talking about Roddy uh, the other day about the uh, John Carpenter film uh, "They Live." Remember that? Yes. That was that's a very good, very clever movie. We want to thank uh, Geeks and Beats uh, listener Scott Simpson for that little tidbit, by the way, about the 1984 song "The World May Not Like Me." I didn't know that that was better known as something else. I didn't know either, but uh, see that that actually surprises me because the WWE slash F. Uh, always prided itself in being so family-friendly, right? Hillbilly Jim. You remember that uh, wrestler? Yes, I do! This is a guy who now has his own Sirius XM country radio station. He does? And he opens every episode of his radio show on Outlaw Country with Don't Go Messing with a Country Boy. (laughs) Oh, God. You're bringing back all kinds of memories with these guys. London, Bangkok, New York, Cincinnati. From the worldwide headquarters of Geeks and Beats magazine, this is a GNB News Update. We have a winner of the Philips Beard Trimmer 9000 with frickin' lasers. Oh, this is just so exciting. I'm glad to be giving away something that has an actual laser in it. Aaron Warner, congratulations. Thank you for supporting the world's most popular podcast. Uh, As a member of the world's worst intern program, and what makes it the worst intern program is you donate a dollar per episode to work on the show. You pay us to work on the show. You don't actually do any work whatsoever. We pocket the cash. But it's the only way you can win stuff on the show. Wait, wait, wait. Aaron, uh, guy or girl? Uh, I would suspect male, uh, double A-R-O-N. Yeah, that's a guy. Well, if it's not, uh, the female Aaron Warner will be giving this as a re-gift to somebody this holiday season. Or we'll be... Da, 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 no, da, 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 da. This is a family show. I know. This airs on the radio. I'm just thinking of all kinds of designs. So, uh, Aaron, uh, courtesy of a $1 per episode donation, he set a $58 limit, which, by the way, if you want to support the show, we'd really like you to, because all those commercials, if you're listening to us on the radio, we don't get a dime for any of that. Um, you can go to our website and support the show, and when you do so, you can set a limit as to how much you're willing to support per episode. He set a $58 limit, which means he will support the show for 58 straight episodes, which we really appreciate. But if you want to be a co-producer on the big show, you donate 25 bucks. we talk about you, and... And you get the album art from that episode with your name on it, suitable for printing off, framing, and hanging in your parents' basement. So we want to thank Derek French for being this week's co-producer. Thank you very much. Again, we need some money to keep this thing operational. There are costs associated with uh, with this sort of thing. 
And uh, if it weren't for people like you, we would not be doing this. We've got some fun stuff we'll be giving away next week on the show when uh, Gadget Ninja Aaron Lawrence rappels down the side of the GNB headquarters to tell us what it is that she's got in her satchel this week. So if you'd like to win some stuff on the big show, support us by going to geeksandbeats.com. Click the support the show link. If you don't want to sign up for Patreon, we've got a PayPal account where you can do that as well. But we want to particularly say that this particular episode has a very special meaning for us here at geeksandbeats.com. It does? It does. Because Steve Feek and Carol Law got married this time a year ago. I'm not going to say they met through the podcast, but I think that they enhanced their love of all things geek and of each other by bonding over the world's most popular podcast. Really? So this is their big episode. Okay, well... Happy anniversary. They are still together. (laughs) Despite the odds, and quite frankly, if those two crazy kids can't do it, what's the chance for the rest of us? Well, this is true. Okay, well, congratulations. Glad we could help and name your firstborn after us. (laughs) Whoa, 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 whoa. I don't know that that's really a wise idea. Mm. Did you know that? Actually, you probably didn't know because I've never told you this. Um, When I was born, my parents hadn't decided what name to give me and they had a few rattling around and one of them was alan oh well did you know that i have uh four names and alan is actually my third name what do you suppose my first name is your first name is not alan no it is not oh um engelbert michael you're kidding no that's comedy gold how did that happen I don't know. Well, okay, I tell you. Uh, grandfather, father, ah, original name. That's how it works. Right, right. You know how I ended up with Michael? No. Was my domineering grandmother had heard that we were considering Michael, but Alan was the primary frontrunner. She liked Michael over Alan, sent the bouquet of congratulatory flowers to my mother with congratulations on the birth of Michael, and mom went, well, I guess it's Michael. <laughs> Okay. How's that make me feel? I know that uh, you <laughs> that you're a typo. <laughs> exactly. We have to talk about. Okay, you got me on this thing about names. Okay. And I come from a small town north of Winnipeg, and things are different in Manitoba sometimes. 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 And there, we went to university at the University of Winnipeg, and I swear to God this is absolutely true. There was a large Mennonite population in Manitoba, and there was a woman whose uh, last name was spelled D-E-U-C-K, and that is pronounced Dick. Okay. D-E-U-C-K. Lovely girl, very innocent, and couldn't understand why we broke down into hysterics when she introduced herself as Anita. Oh. <laughs> Oh, man. True story. I also know a girl uh, whose last name was, uh, I guess there was a nautical family. Her last name was S-E-A-M-A-N. Okay, Seaman. Yeah, mm-hmm. and her first name, Sharon. It, things are a little different there in the Manitoba. They, you know, we were just such an innocent group of people we had no idea that we were doing such odd things that sort of brings me back to the 1970s generally 
which ties into our next uh, little piece here, which is Jim Perry, the game show king, has died at the age of 82. You probably don't know Jim Perry. You probably don't know the game show for which he is most famous, but you know the music because as the host of CTV's Definition, it was a very popular game show in the household of Mike Myers, who later used it for Austin Powers. to see being literate today. Hello there. Welcome to Definition, the game of give and take. Nice to have you here with us. And we have a couple of nice people joining us on the show. For, uh, one for the first time, one has been with us before. The theme is actually a Quincy Jones composition. It is. Which was later picked up by what Canadian hip-hop group? Oh, my definition. My definition is this. Of a bombastic jazz style. Yo, yeah, the Dream Warriors. The Dream Warriors. I remember when that song came out, and it starts with uh, the, well, we'll call it the definition theme song, and I, it hit me. It's like, oh, my God, Div, Jim Perry, definition. Yeah. And uh, it, it became a hit in Canada, largely because of that. 1976 to 1989, he hosted Definition. Uh, from 72 to 83, he hosted Headline Hunters, a quiz show on the news of the day. But uh, also known as uh, the host of the Miss Canada pageant, a role he held from 1967 to 1990. I'm amazed we still had the Miss Canada pageant I in 1990. I forgot about that. Yeah. And didn't didn't he do a show called, was it Just Like Mom? No, 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 no. You're thinking Fergie Oliver. Okay, right. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Okay, here's what you here's what you must not do when it comes to Fergie Oliver and Just Like Mom, the 1970s kids show about baking and doing things with your mom and all that, is you cannot watch the supercut of Fergie Oliver giving small children kisses on the lips. Oh, dear. It's really quite disturbing. And something that in the 70s, nobody questioned. No, no, nobody did because it was completely normal and nobody ever thought that anybody would be, that would be creepy. We don't have Canadian game shows anymore, but, but we do. If you, if you, if you search around during, you know, some of the independent stations during the day, you'll find some really cheesy Canadian game shows, but we don't have any primetime game shows, uh, like Definition was, like Headline Hunters was. My family used to gather around and watch Headline Hunters because it was not quite as brainy or as stuffy as Front Page Challenge. My favorite one, The Mad Dash. In just a few moments, two lucky couples will start on the road to thousands of dollars in cash and prizes on The Mad Dash. This was the one where it was, it was laid out like a, a tabletop board game. 
and instead of the pieces moving across the board game, if you think of uh, the game of life or something like that, it was a similar sort of way. But instead of the, the pieces moving across the board, people played the role of the pieces. Vaguely, I vaguely remember it. So here's the thing, is we're at this point in the program where we have to decide whether or not we're going to go back to talking about serious nonsense. So do you want to talk about Adele limiting the new album 25 to physical and digital releases and not available for streaming, or do you want to talk about weaponizing Katy Perry? Okay, so we had the Apex Summit in Manila, uh, 21 leaders talking about free trade and globalization. There were some people outside that got a little rowdy, as we often see at these uh, G-whatever meetings. And Philippine police moved in. They had water cannons, they had batons, they had riot shields, and they also had loudspeakers playing music very, very loudly. So the first thing that they did was they tried Roar from Katy Perry, which was probably a bad idea since Roar is a song about self-empowerment. So they moved away from that, and they tried something else, and then they tried something else. They tried My Girl by The Temptations, which I don't really understand, but then they went for the nuclear option. They brought in the Bee Gees. How deep is your love? Crowd dispersed. No injuries. I'm telling you, non-lethal method of crowd dispersion. Yes, I think there was a doomsday scenario beyond the Bee Gees, and that would have been a medley of music from Barney the Dinosaur and the Wiggles. <laughs> Catch all new episodes of Geeks and Beats Wednesdays on iTunes. And watch for Geeks and Beats magazine on a newsstand near you. To be part of next week's show, call area code 323-319-NERD. Follow the stories on Twitter or Facebook. And get your dose of Geeks and Beats anytime at geeksandbeats.com. The Geeks and Beats podcast would like to thank the National Science Foundation.